some stones saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit they say they want the kingdom but they don't want God in it yeah I went with nothing nothing but the thought of you I went wandering from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Streaming video, if you have some friends who you want to see the show in another state, another part of the world, in fact, call them up, tell them to go to www.bornagainmormon.com and uh, go to the TV shows, click on that, and it will say, watch show live. Click on that and wait, be patient for a second, and the show will come up. Your relatives, your friends can watch it from anywhere. Very simple, easy to do. Shout outs, Jamie and Laura S. Thank you so much for that thoughtful book. Gordon and Helen from the airport. Esther, uh, the inmates from the great state of Salt Lake City. We know you watch the show. I haven't given you guys a shout out in a long time, but our hearts and prayers are with you and uh, pray that we're being of some benefit to your faith and walk. In-house tonight, we have Wade and John, Derek Church, Ron Lockwood, Lydia Bradford, who is Wilford Woodruff's great-great-granddaughter. So that's kind of exciting. Um, we have Kevin Bradford, Chris Bradford. We have Stephanie Bradford, Reed, and Emmanuel. Uh, we welcome all of them in the house tonight. Family Worship Center tomorrow night in Layton at Gentile and Fort Lane. They have a street called Gentile Lane. That's just amazing. Anyway, on Gentile and Fort Lane in Layton, tomorrow at 7 p.m., we're having a heart in the church. If you live in that area, you want to come and ask questions or uh, meet and greet or whatever it is, uh, show up there at the Family Worship Center in Layton tomorrow night at 7 p.m. This Saturday, June 9th, at Liberty Park in Ogden. Not in Salt Lake City, Liberty Park in Ogden, uh, they're having the Jesus the Rock Festival. And they're going to have seven worship bands, speakers, a car display, a motorcycle display by the Christian Motorcycle Association, food, bouncy castles for kids, face painting, fun for the whole family. And uh, we hope that you can make it there. Liberty Park in Ogden this Saturday. Um, we hope that you can make it. All right. After the show last week, we had our traditional uh, pastor in the pub. Let me tell you something. It was a wild event. It was a great event. We had about 30 people there, and uh, you can show up anytime you want. We're going to do it again tonight. Squatters Pub in Salt Lake City, 3rd South between 1st and 2nd West, East, West, 1st and 2nd West, excuse me. And uh, it's just a great time. Please show up. Uh, you can have a water. You can have a soft drink. You can have a full meal. Uh, pastor in the pub. Last week, we had an actual polygamist there. He was uh, actually brought a girl he was courting to be one of his wives. He already has others. And uh, so we had a great talk with him and as well as all the rest of you who came. So uh, it's a fun time if you want to have some uh, fellowship and discussion. 
We made an announcement last week. We hope you jotted it down. And what am I talking about? Well, check this 30-second soundless commercial out. That's beginning Sunday, July 15th, 9.15 to 10.15. We'll never go over an hour, and uh, we'd love for you to join us if you feel so inclined. Okay, we have a new version of Born Again Mormon. It's actually called I Was a Born Again Mormon, and it's the same book. If you already have the book, it's the same, except there are a few additions at the back and a few subtractions that weren't significant to the, to the uh, whole of the book. Uh, but the, the print is larger for those of you who are complaining about the, the font size. And there's also page numbers in it, which I hated to do, but uh, I did it just buckled under the system. You can get that book at uh, Benchmark Books in Salt Lake City, Christian Gift and Bible in Sandy and Draper, Oasis Books in Logan. Seeds is part of uh, Christ Evangelical Church in Orem. You can go by that church and pick up the book as well. All right, let's have a word of prayer and we'll get into our discussion tonight. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time, this air time, and uh, the ability to talk about these things that are so important, and we pray that your Spirit will be with us and be with the people who are watching and uh, here at the station, helping get the message out on the air. In Jesus' name, amen. In February of 1831, Elizabeth Ann Whitney, an LDS convert, said that Joseph Smith walked into her husband's store in Kirtland, Ohio, and said, I am Joseph the prophet. This was an easier claim for him to make in Kirtland, Ohio, than it was for him to make in Palmyra, New York, because there he was considered by many to be a poor or uneducated or uh, the user of a seer stone to find hidden treasures. After establishing the Church of Christ in 1830, the group who copies with copies of the Book of Mormon in hand, sought to establish the kingdom of God there in the New York area. And though missionaries were sent out, the church's growth was very slow and very difficult, as would be expected. Few seemed to care or believe in the restorationist claims and or the sacred record that was produced by both Joseph Smith and the seer stone that he also sought treasure with. According to Church History Volume 1, things started looking better when Joseph received word that in Kirtland, Ohio, there was a church where the people read the Book of Mormon, believed it, and that the leader, his family, and several hundred followers had converted themselves. Before long, Joseph centralized or relocated the church to Kirtland, Ohio. Missionaries went west from there to preach to the Indians and returned and reported that Missouri, about a thousand miles away, was an unspoiled and beautiful land. Soon, Joseph received a revelation that he said was from the Lord that Missouri was to be Zion and the site of the city of the new Jerusalem. That's what they called uh, Independence, Missouri, Jackson County, Missouri. Because of this revelation that Jackson County, Missouri was going to be the new Jerusalem, 
this idea, which was also uh, spoken of in the Doctrine and Covenants, came about that the saints were going to gather there in the last days. And so there has been, since I was a youth, this idea that at some point in time, the prophet of the church is going to put out a call to all LDS and say, drop everything and get yourself back to Jackson County, Missouri, where the New Jerusalem is. Anyway, after this revelation was received, the Mormons at that time established a colony in that area in Missouri. So we have Joseph Smith and the church in Kirtland over here. And then we have a group of LDS who established themselves in Jackson County, a thousand miles away over here. And, and in the place that Joseph said was Zion or the New Jerusalem. Now, at this point in time, Mormonism started to get some legs. People began to get curious about this guy who said he was the prophet. And they would flock to see him in Kirtland and in other places where he would go. The missionaries' efforts out in those areas were starting to have effect as well. But out in Jackson County, Missouri, there was troubles. And um, things started getting heated up between the locals of Jackson County and these new Mormons and their religion that was brought in. Some of it may have occurred, some of the persecution from the locals in Jackson County may have occurred justly. It could have been that the LDS got under their skin through some of their opinions or habits or whatever they did. Uh, but there's another side to the coin. Mark Twain said, quote, fewer things are harder to put up with than a good example. And it is quite possible that the Missourians just got tired of seeing the unity and the hard work ethic of the Mormons, and maybe they got jealous. Uh, they, were, they were concerned that be, they were being infiltrated by this religious sect, and it scared them. You know, we see that happen in, in cultural and, socio, uh, and uh, sociological studies today. Whatever the reason, as winter reigned in, angry mobs began to attack the, the Latter-day Saints in Jackson County, Missouri. And this absolutely infuriated Joseph Smith. And I understand why it would. It probably infuriated God. You know, I, I mean, we just don't attack people. And, and they were attacking them. But in typical fashion, Joseph then claimed to receive a revelation from God that he was to gather an army together uh, from the men in Ohio and other places, and they were to march into Jackson County and reclaim the land. Joseph said that the Lord promised them, quote, mighty victory over their enemies. So Joseph formed a group and they began to march to Missouri and they called this group and the trek Zion's Camp. Now, before we get to the outcome of this march, I want to ask you a few things just to think about. In Matthew 5.39, Jesus said, Resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. In Luke 6.29, it reads, And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer the other also, and him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Proverbs 24, 29 says, Say not, I will do so to him as he hath done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. Don't say that, it says. Romans 12, 17 says, Recompense no man evil for evil. And finally, Romans 12, 19 says, Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay saith the Lord. 
Jesus said, if someone hits you on the cheek, you are to turn the other way and let him hit the other if he so desired. Paul writes, avenge not yourselves. But Joseph receives revelations from the Lord after Jesus has come and presented his gospel. And, and, and this revelation says, and I quote, the redemption of Zion must needs come by power. And quote, the Lord would raise up unto my people a man who shall lead them like Moses, who shall lead them like Moses led the children of Israel, end quote. And that the Lord said to, quote, avenge me of mine enemies. In the same revelation, Joseph said that the Lord told the saints to, quote, curse the mobs at Jackson County. Jesus said in Matthew 5:14, bless them that curse you. The words of Jesus to his apostles are, bless them, forgive them, avenge them not, turn the other cheek. The operative words of Joseph's revelations were, by the power of man, raise up a man, avenge and curse. Before he even began recruiting soldiers for Zion's camp in the march, Joseph was named, quote, commander in chief of the armies of Israel. You'll see as we go on through church history that he begins to tack on greater and greater titles to himself, which are almost matched and best by his uniforms that he would wear and the things that he would propose that he was to the rest of the world as he went on. Mormon history is riddled with attitudes and actions which were forged on the anvil of man and his ways, man and his will and man and his notion, not the Christian ethics that we read in the Bible proposed by the Lord. It was a, it was a reversion back to Old Testament eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And they lived that law. This is a reason, this is a main reason why Christians are zealously jealous when a, a group that doesn't conform to the Christian ethic starts saying that they are Christian. It's very disturbing when you have a group that says they're Christian, but they do things that are absolutely in oppos opposition of what Christ taught. Christian is not Jesus and man. Christianity is Jesus, period. All right? It's important to say. So about a thousand, uh, no, excuse me, about a hundred men gathered to make the thousand mile trip. And they were joined by more LDS men, I should say Mormons at that time, who heard about the injustice in Jackson County and they started and they started traveling across. Now some strange things occurred on the thousand mile trip and uh, downright comical in my opinion. I mean, I just crack up when I read this stuff and, and I'm gonna share a couple of them with you. First, Lyman White, a follower in the march, a faithful follower of Joseph Smith, uh, he was called to the position of general of the camp. From his own journal we read, he wrote this, at Father Bosley's farm, Joseph ordained me to the office of Banami in the presence of an angel. Here, Joseph was given the name of Baruch El, says Wright, which meant, quote, the officer of the highest rank in the army of the strength of the Lord's host, and Banami is an appendage thereunto. I want to be ordained to the office of Banami. I want to be an appendage to the officer of the highest rank in the Lord's army to go out and war with people. My flesh desires that title. Joseph also appointed to himself an armor bearer on this trek, who, according to Bushman, 
was a guy who carried, quote, carried a brace of silver-mounted brass-barreled horse pistols, which Joseph was discharged different times along the march. So he had a guy who went along and he carried these guns for Joseph, who was the commander-in-chief of the army of, of Israel, going out to destroy at Jackson County and getting the men all riled up. And Joseph got, would call the guy over and he'd take the pistols and he'd start shooting just to, to show his... Uh, military strength, I guess. Zion's camp traveled nearly a thousand miles to reach Jackson County from Kirtland, Ohio. Joseph was not a lightweight when it came to physical discomfort. The guy, I mean, he grew up in a very hard-working, agrarian, and agrestic environment, and he could take a lot. I mean, I wouldn't want to tangle with him. He, I'm sure he was a tough guy. And it's, I mean, there's a lot of proven written history. He endured what the saints endured. And so we have to give credit where credit is due. I mean, if that's a, a credible thing, he definitely suffered with the, those guys. And there was also a puritanical sense that whenever anything ordinary or mundane, occur, mundane occurred, they would make that into a, uh, a revelation of the importance of this march. Once when someone stuck a shovel in the ground and water uh, was found, they believed, quote, that it was as big of a miracle as when, jo when Moses smote the rock and water came out. So there was a constant uh, searching for these things to happen and then tying them to it being God's will for them to be on this march. There was a constant effort to see the hand of God in their efforts. I believe it was again Mark Twain who said, you can't depend on your eyes when your imagination is out of focus. Perhaps such a saying could not be more applicable than here. Mystically minded people tend to see and experience the very things which their imagination believes. People who believe in ghosts see ghosts. People who personify animals witness animals acting with human traits. People who think that angels materialize and dematerialize and materialize, they see that happen. And so it, it's kind of like the thought precedes the, the miracle. If you are interested in reading some good stuff on this, I highly suggest uh, uh, Thomas Gilovich's How We Know What Isn't So. I also recommend the book, The True Believer uh, by, uh, who wrote that? Eric Hoffer. Uh, true believer is harsh. Read the Bible as you read the true believer. But I mean, it really does an investigation on how people have things manifest that they believe in. And it's just all it does is verify their certain beliefs. Okay, so another a classic event happens and it helps paint a portrait of Joseph, the commander in chief, as he's out there. In early June, some of Zion's camp came upon an area in the, near the Illinois River. And at that area were some scattered bones and a pile of rocks. And someone decided to dig down there and found a skeleton and it had an arrow point sticking in its ribs. According to the account prepared at Joseph Smith's direction, Joseph said, quote, The visions of the past being opened to my understanding by the Spirit of the Almighty, again attributing the revelation to God himself, I discovered that the person whose skeleton was before us was a white Lamanite, a large thick-set man, and a man of God. The thick-set man's name? Zelf. You gotta love Zelf. You gotta love the name Zelf. I mean, you, just, you gotta picture this in your head. You got guys out there, and they're traveling, and they're tired, and, and they come upon this, this site. The, you know, it's probably an Indian burial ground. 
and they ask Joseph what it is, and he says, it's a white Lamanite named Zelf. Yes! I love these kinds of facts. I resonate completely to what Joseph Smith was doing here. Completely. Maybe you do too. Anybody who has ever been asked by a child to tell a story at night, a scary story, knows exactly what was going on. Uh, you want a story, honey? A scary story? Well, once upon a time, there was a very, very horrible looking man who was born and he lived on top of Spiderweb Hill. And, and his parents were so scared by him when he was born, they named him Chisel Breath. I mean, you come up with these names, you know, and it's like, Zelf! I mean, it just blows my mind. Think about this stuff. Just think about it. As you put these pieces together, put yourself there and say, would I believe this? Joseph is claiming that God told him, God, all right, that this was a white Lamanite named Zelf. When people go into the land of Imagineering, they pull letters that are really obscure out of their minds. Z's, names that start with Z and sound, you know, Kolob, Mahanrai Moriankamer. The more far-fetched, the more believable it is to people who don't know anything different. I pray that this stuff will become fiction in your eyes as you consider it. Anyway, according to Joseph, this is what he said. Zelf was a man who fought for the great prophet Onandagus, who said, and Joseph said that he was known from the hill Cumorah or the Eastern Sea to the Rocky Mountains. This is important because today, Latter-day Saint scholars are saying that the hill Cumorah is not in the Americas, that it's possibly in another place. But from Joseph's revelation of Zelf, and uh, being a warrior under the prophet Onandagas, who was known from the Eastern Sea or Hill Cumorah to the, West, to the Rocky Mountains, Joseph Smith is saying that was the place the Hill Cumorah actually was. So we can take that scholarly approach today of the Hill Cumorah not being in America and just throw it out the window according to what the prophet Joseph Smith said at that time. Now, according to Joseph, Zelf had his hip broken by a rock that was shot from a sling during the last great battle between the Lamanites and the Nephites. That's another thing imaginative storytelling includes, and that's real good details to help verify everything else. Anyway, long, long story short, and a long, long journey over, the Zion's camp turned into a pretty big, major failure. Not one shot was fired, thank God, when they went to Jackson County, most of the soldiers were just infected with cholera and they turned around their tails between their legs and they walked a thousand miles back to Kirtland, Ohio. This was a man who knew how to influence people. Uh, you get them to do that, it's amazing. When they returned home, Joseph Smith told them, and it's recorded in Doctrine and Covenants 105 verses 1 through 9, that the, because of their unwillingness to be totally obedient to God's commandments, they were turned back without the victory. All right. Defenders of Zion's camp claim that what happened in this protracted march was that all the uh, faithful members of the church, thousand miles out, about a thousand miles out, about a thousand miles back, proved their allegiance to Joseph, and all the great leaders of the Mormon Church after Joseph was killed. Uh, rose up in power and they were all part of that Zion's camp that was kind of a weeding out of the weak to see who really did believe in him and, and that's what the defenders of the faith say happened. Post Zion's camp the saints I think were a little bit uh, from what I've read were a little bit hesitant to believe in things like Zelf anymore and Joseph went back to Kirtland and was kind of facing 
um, a, um, a curiosity about his leadership and his ability. When he presented the Book of Mormon, it was a great thing. It replicated the Bible well. It talked about modern day issues. And now we have them coming back and, and nothing really happening. And Joseph, the church began to kind of, where, where's it going? And they needed something tangible to help fortify and nourish their diminishing faith in him as a prophet, seer, and revelator of the church, which is what he was ordained to when they organized the church. So with blisters still on the Zion's camp soldiers' feet and some uh, saints beginning to really think about names like Zelf, uh, Joseph had something really good happen. Uh, he was facing more and more doubt, and he... Whenever Joseph started to have people question him and things start to unravel, he seems, in my, in my mind, to have um, come up with something more miraculous every time. And uh, if it wasn't a book translation, it was a new revelation. If it wasn't a new revelation, it was a far-fetched doctrine. And if it wasn't a far-fetched doctrine, it was some story of some kind. There was never a dull moment in the restored gospel, and there was never a doubt in the people's minds as to this being the truth, because they were constantly getting something new and miraculous to hang on to. Well, in July of 1835, shortly after they got back, an Irishman named Michael Chandler showed up in the town of Kirtland, Ohio with a cache of uh, Egyptian artifacts and mummies and carvings. And his exhibit proved very popular among the saints. Now remember, Joseph not only called and introduced himself as a prophet to the people, but he also called himself a seer and revelator when the church was organized. In the Book of Mormon, Messiah 8.13, this is what it says about a seer. It says a seer is a man that can translate all records that are of ancient date. Okay? So Joseph was made a prophet, seer, and revelator. And then he is, it says there, if you are a prophet, seer, and revelator, you should be able to translate all ancient records. All right? So suddenly we've got ourselves a bit of an opportunity. Another chance for Joseph to bring something forward to help recollect the saints and give them something to hold on to. And these were Michael Chandler's traveling show Egyptian artifacts. But the thing is, nobody at that time could tell the difference. Joseph could take one of those scraps, those fragments, and read from it and say, it means this. And they believed him because he was supposed to be a seer and to be able to translate. So this is how Joseph and his imagination flourished. And this is how he established himself as a prophet to be believed. Every time he grew in doubt, something else came forward that amazed them with his religious making, as Richard Bushman says he was so adept at doing. Next week, we'll continue on with the translation of these Egyptian artifacts and how they came to be actual canonized scripture in the LDS church held equally with the Bible, the Book of Mormon, and the Doctrine and Covenants. And this is, this is one of the biggest, oh my words, in the Mormon history. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Let me go to a few uh, emails while we wait for the operators to get through the calls. This is from somebody in Maryland who um, says he watches our show on Faith TV out of Florida and uh, he wants to give us a warm pat on the back. We're doing good work uh, and how we are implored to correct wrong doctrine in Titus. 
We are urged to expose lies and warn false teachers and doctrines of demons. That's from Woody in Maryland from Faith TV. I can't win for losing. This email uh, attacks me and criticizes me. He says, I think it was funny last week to watch how you totally avoided all of the temple questions. And I think it is because deep inside your heart, you know it is true and you know how sacred it is. And that is why you won't even try to touch the specifics and you know it. Well, I want to let you know, Russell, that um, the reason that I don't talk about the temple things is out of respect for uh, the temple, which the Mormons, you know, they're really sensitive on. I, I frankly would like to just come and just teach you the whole thing. And uh, someday, I, who knows, maybe I will, but no, I won't. Mormons, just relax. I, but, you know, if I don't talk about it, you say it's because I know in my heart and it's so sensitive. And if I do talk about it, it's because, uh, you know, I'm just an insensitive buffoon. You can't win with you guys. Uh, bottom line, I won't talk about it because it offends more good people than bad uh, we have people on the internet, on our website, saying that we are out for money, that we're making big cash, that we, uh, we allow for donations on our website through PayPal and through uh, credit cards. And I just want to nip that in the bud. We've never asked for money. We will never we will never will ask for money. And uh, where God guides, God provides. We're not in this to be uh, uh, rich. And I just want to address all those people on the board who are saying this is a ministry to make cash. I need to look at... Uh, uh, our bank account and look just to see how it all works. We're not in it for that. If I was in it for that, I'd be a stockbroker like I was before. Um, this person, uh, Michael, says that, uh, however, because of the fact that the LDS leaders, um, oh, this is talking about when they talked about the Seer Stone in 1992 Insign article, and he's saying that proves the LDS leaders do not withhold any information and I just want to say, uh, in this short period of time, uh, you, you, you aren't seeing how it really is. And that's just kind of an immature uh, uh, approach. Won't read that one. And uh, we'll go on to our first call. We're going to Miguel and Draper. Miguel, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how you doing, Sean? Doing well. How are you? Doing pretty good. Hey, I got a question for you. Yes. Um, for, well, for one, I want to tell you, you've got a great show. God bless you and keep going on it. Thanks, Miguel. Less than a lot of people. Um, the question I've got is, I heard the other day that um, they say that the Mormons are now allowing their members to get tattoos. Do you know anything about that? I know nothing about that. <laughs> I heard it the other day. I was at a, at a men's breakfast, and I was talking to some guys, and they, they told me that the Mormons now are allowing their, their uh, members to get tattoos. And I, thought, and I asked them, well, do you mean to have tattoos already on them, you know, be converted? And they said, uh, no, they said getting tattoos. Yeah, I haven't heard that at all. But I know how you put it. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek. You know, they, they, they don't stop you. They don't physically go in and stop you or keep you from doing things if you have tattoos. Right, uh, right. Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that got tattoos, you know, and, and a lot of people get converted to, to you know, Christianity right. and other religions. But, um, and I, I imagine they wouldn't stop you, to, you know, being a Mormon if you have one. But I, I heard that you could go that they could physically go out and get one and that they were cool with it. Yeah, no, I haven't heard that. I'll check that out, though. Okay, one more question really quick. Um, do you know if they've done any kind of evidence or scientific, forensic science evidence, whatever, on uh, Carthage Jail when Joseph Smith um, was, was killed and, and all that? I, I heard that he fought back, and I've, I've been taught that for years, you know, and I'm just wondering if um, 
they've done any kind of, if they've gone back and done any, like, research on it. Like, you know, they went back and did the OK Corral, and they, they did a bunch of stuff on that, and they've gotten a lot of evidence on finding out who started that. I'm wondering if they did anything like that with the Carthage Jail incident. I don't know if they've done any forensic studies. I know that uh, the church readily admits that Joseph fought back. It's part of their history. Oh, really? Yeah. They, he had a, he, a gun was smuggled into him. He fired. I think he unloaded the gun. Uh, he killed two people. I mean, he killed them going out wow. and before he was hit and went out the window. But the church doesn't deny that. Uh, it's part of their history. So that kind of takes the, the whole uh, martyr thing and just throws it away, doesn't it? Yeah, and I thought that they, I thought that they always stuck to the, the story that, that he died as a martyr, that he didn't have a weapon on him. And, no. and I remember them talking about the, the blood that stained the floor. They couldn't get rid of it. It was a mystery. They tried everything to get rid of yeah. it, and they, they couldn't get rid of it, and it was a sign of God or something. Yeah, I love the myth. And, and everybody who was shot by him, their wounds never healed either. Oh, really? That's another one. I don't know. I mean, I don't believe, but it may have been because the bullets were so putrefied with the lead and stuff. But I mean, that's another thing they love saying. Anybody Joseph shot, you know, and they never healed. And there's even a book out there about that somewhere I read years ago. Oh, really? That's wild. I don't know how valuable it is, but. That's a story that they came up with or what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's crazy. All right, Miguel. Thanks. Hey, well, God bless you, man. God bless you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, let me say something. I'm going to get a lot of flack. In fact, I'm going to lose. We'll probably have people not, not to come to Lord's Word by me saying this, but you know what? I don't care. I hate tattoos, especially on girls. I mean, I'm sorry if you're a girl with a tattoo. I just don't think it, it helps you. I think you're beautifully made. If you have a tattoo, who cares? I mean, no big deal. I mean, look at me. But, I mean, don't get a tattoo. Christian or not, the Christian uh, culture is really big on tattoos. And don't get a piercing. You don't need to do that. You know, you just don't. But I know culture, I know, you know, fashion and everything. I'm just giving you an opinion. This is totally an opinion. Although it does say in Deuteronomy, do not mark upon your skin. Mm-hmm. So anyway, guys and girls, I don't want to be sexist. Don't get tattoos, but especially the girls. Oh, yeah. They call them tramp stamps in California. I probably get in trouble for saying that too. But all right, let's uh, go to Pete in Kuna, Idaho. Pete, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi there, Sean. How you doing, man? I'm doing okay. Good. Hey, Sean, I, I just have a question for you, if, if you could please help me with it. I'll try. Um, I've come to question tithing. Yeah. And um, I was flipping through the channels, and I um, the Seventh-day Adventist program was on, and uh, they, were, they brought up Matthew 23, 23. Uh-huh. Are you familiar with that? No, but I have my Bible. Did you... Could you help me with that one, and uh, and I'll just let you, if you can, just answer it on the air. Or... Okay, you're in Idaho, so you'll watch it later. Yeah, is it, it'll be a week from today. Yeah, Matthew twenty three twenty three. Yes. Okay, I'll read it. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Matthew twenty three twenty three says, "Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay, you pay tithe of mint and." Uh, Annas and Cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you have done, and not leave the other undone. Well, a couple things. First, remember, Jesus, when he came, he was speaking to the house of Israel. He was speaking to the Jews. And the Jews, part of their uh, uh, walk 
was to pay tithing and was to obey the Sabbath and was to do a number of things that were under the law. So this was to them, and he was telling them, listen, you will pay tithing on these little grains and seeds, and yet you ignore the important things about being a Christian. Like, like what he says, judgment, mercy, and faith. And he's just like slapping them and say, he's not saying don't pay your tithing, Jews. He's continuing to do that, but don't avoid the weightier matters of the law. Now, what happens is, is when we get to the book of Acts, second chapter, uh, day of Pentecost, we have the Holy Spirit come. And we enter, well, actually, we entered into the dispensation of the Gentiles prior to that. And this dispensation of the Gentiles is a dispensation of grace. You will not find after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are essentially extensions of the Old Testament, if you really think about it, you will not find after the day of Pentecost any reference to paying tithing, okay? Now, I've heard a lot of pastors talk about this word, and they get kind of angry at me because I don't like it when Christians use the word tithing. Did you pay your tithing? Uh, because we're not under the law. There's only one or two references that talk about tithing relative to what uh, Christians should do paying it, and they don't use the word tithing. And it just says, be a cheerful giver. And the word cheerful in the Greek is hilarious. Be a hilarious giver, or don't give at all. Okay, so you are under no obligation to pay this tithing. In fact, a Christian doesn't give 10%. A Christian should in reality give their all. You know, you're giving everything you can. And uh, why limit it to 10% when the Lord may get you to pay 50? I don't know. Again, this is not legalism. I'm just telling you on the, on the subject of tithing, uh, it just isn't applicable to the Christian church and the Gentile church. It is applicable to the Jews. All right, we are going to Ted in Mid Medville, <laughs> Midvale. First time caller. Ted, you're on Heart of the Matter. Ted? Ted. Ted. Hello. Hey, Ted, you're on the air. Hey, Sean. Hey. How you doing? Doing well, man. How are you? Pretty good. Now, I had an experience that most people would love. Actually, I've been to heaven. You've been to heaven? I've been to heaven. How was it? It was great. You know, the I'm one glad thing to hear I that. didn't see, I didn't see any of my Mormon neighbors oh, no. or my granny, who was uh, the daughter of, uh, she had 48 brothers and sisters. She was a Mormon. What did you see up there? I'd seen, it was uh, like a real bright, Bright, I seen my yaya, my grandma. Saw your yaya. My great grandma, and she says, "Why he suffer, suffer? Why he Torah? Not now." So, any any. Then I seen it looked like a figure, figure something, and it I think it was Jesus. Well, very. You know, it's too bright to see. Too bright, too bright to see. Very cool, Ted. Thank you for sharing that with I us. Was, uh, you know, I'm reborn spiritually. Uh huh. And I'm reborn literally. Awesome. Well, that's a beautiful story, Ted. Thank you for sharing that with the audience. I'm All sure. Right. I'm sure some people are going to uh, be inspired by that. It okay, great. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Okay, bye bye. We are going to Mark in Linden. Mark, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. 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 Is this Sean? This is. Wow. Hey, great. You hey, got to uh, turn your TV off. 
Okay, I will. Sorry. Or just the t or just the sound down. Okay, I got it down. All right. Okay, listen. Uh, first of all, I want to tell you I like your show. I watch it every time I, I, it comes on, and I called you. Uh, I don't know a while ago, and I asked you and to explain something to me, and I thought you might have the answer by now. And uh, I also wanted to say to all the people of the uh, of the audience that. If there's ever one piece of evidence that I've found that um, explains or, um, oh yeah, explains the truth of the Book of Mormon, yes, it would be the Chiasmus writings. The Chiasmus writings were uh, discovered. You know, in 1959, yeah. they were kind of like a, a, a palindrome, you know, where you say, like, a man, a plan, a canal, a, uh, a man, a plan, a canal, Panama, is spelled forwards and backwards the same right. way. Palindrome, well, yes. is the same, uh, the same type of thing, except instead of letters, you're using words. And you think, and, you think, this, you think this supports the... The validity of the Book of Mormon being translated from golden plates? Uh, yeah, I just don't see how Joseph Smith could have possibly, um, first of all, um, translated the golden plates. In order for Chiasmus to be able to exist in the Book of Mormon, yeah. it would have to, first of all, be discovered by Joseph Smith yeah. sometime in the 1830s. Okay. And then he would have to think in order to make his quote-unquote false um, doctrine plausible uh -huh. to uh, include some of these into the, the, the story that he, you know, quote-unquote made up. Okay. And then, okay, you got to end it now. Now I got to respond for the audience's sake, okay? Because okay, you, and then, well, you just never tell anybody about it, and then just hope, and then just hope for you know that someday it will be discovered. Well, well, let me let me explain let me explain something about chiasmus. Uh, he <laughs> says it's like a palindrome, and what it is, it's um, it's a it's a form of writing where it's like a b b a. You say the dog ran up the hill, up the hill, we saw the dog. And so you have the beginning of the verse, you have the end of the verse, and they, they go A, B, B, A, and that's, it's kind of a, um, it's almost like a verse and, and prose, and, and, and it's a form of writing. Here's the thing with chiasmus. You find it in Shakespeare. You find it in uh, people who wrote books back before Joseph Smith ever penned a book. You find it in the Doctrine and Covenants in the writing style of Joseph Smith. Because chiasmus is present in a book, this by, by no means means that the, the book was brought from God. It just means that that was their writing style. When I write a letter, if someone who's read enough letters from me, they'll know Sean McCraney wrote this letter because I write in a certain way. We all have, time, we all have signature stamps on how we write. And Joseph Smith's chiasmus was just part and parcel of the way that he constructed sentences. All right, and you have, also have to remember that Joseph cut his teeth as a young boy with his family in the old no television world on the Bible. He learned to memorize and hear and see the Bible as it was written. And the Bible has chiasmus in it. 
and it's very literary and it has a lot of poetry and the Jews wrote in that way. You can, that's why I said last week when Joseph gave a revelation, it sounded like it was coming from the mouth of God because he knew how to do, he knew how to say it. And if I really gave it just 30 seconds of thought, I could probably give you a revelation right now that would sound as though it came from the voice of God too. If you read the scriptures, you can do that. And that's what Joseph Smith did. There's no magic to chiasmus. And that's probably why I haven't even addressed it. Well, I mean, chiasmus is really only apparent in the, in the King, in, no, it's not, not really apparent in the King James Version. It's more apparent in the Gutenberg Bible. And yeah. by the way, that was how it was discovered. Yeah. In 1959 by John Welch. All right, my friend, you know what? We got to go on because chiasmus, people, if they don't know what it means, they go to the refrigerator and we got to keep them on the show. All right. You take care, my friend. Okay. I like your show, man. Thanks, man. I like you too. Bye-bye. There's been some very nice people. It sounds kind of like everyone's already been to Squatter's Pub with a number of our calls, but um, no, I'm just kidding you. All right. We're going to Jill from Salt Lake City. Jill, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean. Is this my old friend Jill from California who tunes into the show and wants to fight with me? Uh, I don't want to fight with you. I oh. never have wanted to fight with you. <laughs> What's happening now, Jill? Well, a couple questions. Um, just calling, uh, obviously, to your references to Joseph Smith tonight. And I'd like to find out what is your um, background in theology? My background in theology? Uh, I'm not a trained theologian. I am uh, a uh, armchair uh, biblical uh, quarterback. I read the Bible. I studied uh, the uh, Mormon scriptures on my mission. I went to seminary a couple years, and then in the church. My question being then is, then how did you get a TV show? Well, uh, it was because of my charm and good looks. They (laughs) saw me on the street and they said, Sean McCraney, you've got your own show. Okay, well, then, I, then here's what, I, what my question. Okay, let's get to the real question now is? Is because, you know, you're always acting like Joseph Smith um, could not be a prophet and that he was just some hokey weirdo that came along and started this religion and got, a, you know, followers to come along, along yeah. after him. Yeah. And yet it seems to me that you probably have a pretty good following. This is actually my last week here because I'm going back to California, but you seem to be like you have a pretty good following here in the Salt Lake, Idaho area. Let me tell you something, Jill. I could, I could, if it was within my purview of personality and character, probably start a good cult, you know, and, and, and people can, you know, you can do that if you want. And I could, throw, I could throw out some really good stuff to hook them in, but it just wouldn't be true. But don't you think you already have that with what you're doing on TV? And my question being is, if, if Joseph Smith really was hokey, which he was not, but in your respect he was, it's amazing to me that the church is over 11 million strong and the fastest growing church that I know of. I don't yeah. know that any church is growing faster, and yet it was this hokey, weird guy that you claim you know, was just kind of this fraud. Well, no, I, I, don't, I don't think I've used the word hokey. That's your word. I, well, I do think that uh, he did try to pull some things that just crack me up. And you have to admit, there's things in there that you, I know, Jill, you have to have questioned. Do I think Joseph Smith was human? Absolutely. Do I think that Joseph Smith... Okay, but th- here's the difference. I'm not, we're not saying human. We are saying he used God's name as the author of his humanity. This is the problem. It's not the fact that he had failures. I don't care. We all have failures. I seriously do not care. It's the fact that he covered his failures with God as the author of them. And that is just... I guess that will be between Joseph and the Lord. No, because it's the doctrines of your church, Jill. 
Well, but not well. The fault, the the things that you're saying that Joseph said that were false are not the doctrines of our church. These, polygamy. These are things that other people have written in their journals. Polygamy, Jill. Uh huh. Polygamy is not a doctrine of the church. It is. It was. Okay, and this it's was a doctrine of today. It's still a doctrine. It hasn't been changed. Doctrine and Covenants one thirty two. Well, we don't practice polygamy. So you don't practice. You can practice it, Jill. You could be sealed to another man who has another wife eternally. His wife just has to have passed away. You can practice well, it spiritually. After someone has been deceased, but not while they're living. Oh, but So you can still practice it. It's a spiritual practice. But are you saying that if you, if you, I don't even know if you're married, but if you were married and then your wife died and then you remarried again, you would not do that? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it because I don't believe in it. And I wouldn't, uh, but when I was LDS, I certainly would have tried to do it. But I probably, you, when I was LDS, probably would have tried to get a few living. There are people that are not LDS that have people that are divorced or have, spouses that have passed away and have remarried are they living those yeah but you know the, the problem jill is what you're doing is you're arguing with me but you're not really looking at the reality of it if you talk seriously with most lds men who are faithful they look forward to the day when they can practice it eternally with that's their wives not true i i am married to a husband who is the, he's not talking to you truthfully uh, no that is not true and i know lots of men and we have discussed and have I'm, of, I'm you know i'm sorry i said that and want to have lots of wives Very i'm sorry i said that jill your husband probably does, only wants one. I know there's many that do, but I, you know, I was in the church a long time. I had a lot of private discussions with people. I, you know, I, I've heard many men and I've heard this expression go on. The church hasn't renounced polygamy as a doctrine. All they've done is renounce the practice. And so, and bottom line, if you read in Sacred Loneliness of Joseph Smith's Wives, you can see the word you used is hokey. You can see what this man did in the name of God to get more women under his power. Joseph Smith was a prophet, a revered prophet. Well, your testimony is irrelevant to me because we just have to look at the things he said. We just have to look at the things he said, Jill. You can bear testimony you believe he was a prophet, but what did he say? What did he do? Okay, you and know, if you look at those, go to utlm.org. If you're really searching, Jill, go to that website and read what he said and did. I'm searching. The thing is, I found truth, and that's what. Well, how do you know you found truth? Because the spirits testified that. Okay, well then, then you know, you know, and the you spirits told you, and you know, I, I, we can go this round. We do this almost every third show. I, all I'm saying is, you haven't looked at the facts, Jill. You believe, but you have not looked at the facts. Uh, yes, I have, and yeah, I. You can't I, say that. I wish you a happy life because, like I said, I'm going back to California, so I won't see. What's the show online, Jill? But um, I what? wish you a happy life, and I hope I think today that you'll have a, a remembrance of your conscience and come back to the beliefs that you were raised. Jill, That's Jill, can I ask you something before you hang up? Sure. Do you believe the pearl of great price is the Word of God equal with the Bible? Yes. Wow. What awesome! You believe that that book was translated from those papyri, and it was actually the Book of Abraham. Yes, I do. Oh, Jill. How? I mean, even the church is on the precipice of denying that. That's not true. Yes, they are. So Just read the scholarly reports. Read what people are saying. The motion's going that way, and this is what you're going to do. You're going to say, well, they can believe, even if they make an announcement, we don't believe in this anymore, you're going to say, well, it's just a matter of faith, and you're going to go on. If the prophet says to be true, I will always believe. Uh, well, I'm glad you're saying it on the air. May every single person hear this. What the prophet says, you will always believe. Absolutely. Good luck with that, my sister. Thank you. Okay, bye. I like those little arguments I have with her because uh, we've gotten more civil. Greg Johnson would appreciate our civility toward each other as we talked, and yet we were able to get our points across. All right, we're going to Louie from Orem, first-time caller on line four. Louie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. 
Hi. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Louie? Good. Is your TV on? It's on, but the, the volume is down. I can okay. just hear you. What's your question? My question is, I'm Native American, and we're getting together 175 tribal class action suits to prove that the Book of Mormon is untrue. Wow. We believe that, we believe that, the, uh, that the Mormon Church has been profiteering on the lies and of Joseph Smith, and we're, we're about ready to do this within the next year. We're going to challenge the whole concept of the Book of Mormon. Anyway. Wow. Lewis, do you have a, uh, a website? No, I don't. This is all be done very quietly right now because uh, we have our reasons, but uh, we're going to bring bring this class action suit against the church. Well, email. Him. I'd like to hear more about it. We can talk about it on the show once you come out. You come out. Okay. Maybe I'll meet you one of these Wednesdays on uh, over at the pub in the evening, or maybe we can meet together. Look forward to it anytime. Okay, Louis. Thanks. Not only that, one comment, and that is if. These men in progression have been prophets, and revelators all their lives. Why is it that they can't do a simple thing like make an announcement over the uh, pulpit and say, there's going to be a tsunami in 2004, or we're going to have trouble with 9-11 because we believe that there's going to be two towers. They've never prophesied anything, and yeah. they do not see anything. I think Gordon B. Hinckley uh, kind of made clear that there's really... No need for further revelation. That was all kind of at the beginning of the church. It was all laid out. And today it's just, you know, it's kind of just molding and guiding certain little things in the church. There's no need for more revelation. That's what yeah. he says. But that was just the point anyway. But the thing is, is like I said, um, in order, I, it's just that I'm tired of lies and I have nothing against my white European brother, but to dismiss with one of the white European brothers that made a whole cult and a whole business out of the Mormon church. Yeah, he certainly did. You take care, man. Thanks for the call. All right. I uh, hope to meet you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to Jeff, uh, first-time caller in Salt Lake City. Jeff, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello? Hi, Jeff. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? All right. You're on the air. Oh, I'm watching you now. How come I'm not on... There now. There's a delay. Oh, okay. So yeah. my question for you is, is that, uh, you know, you guys are all talking about Joseph Smith and stuff. Yeah. Um, why do these people believe in Joseph Smith? Because he was nothing but a horse thief. I mean, that's like believing in a crook. Yeah. You know, uh, what, what, my other thing for Sean is, he, he attended a mission, so he says. Where did he go on his mission? And if he doesn't believe in it so much, why did he go on his mission? This is Sean. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, I went on the mission because of a number of things. I wanted to know the truth. I was told I should go on a mission. Uh, my brother, older brother, went on a mission. It was just the expectation. I sang, I hope they call me on a mission when I grow a fitter too. I mean, it was just the thing. I, and, and I went out there with a, an honest heart. I, I have a heart that, that honestly wants to know truth, and I pursued it in that, in that vein. When I discovered later... Uh, the facts, then I realized I had made a mistake and uh, not really learning before I made the decision. So I don't regret the mission. Uh, I regret some of the people that I uh, brought into the Mormon church, but uh, I don't regret the experience and I, I've learned to uh, speak to Mormons because of it. Um, 
as far as why they followed Joseph Smith and you, the thing that he was a horse thief, every prophet of the Old Testament were also failures. Every single man is a failure. So I don't hold the fact that Joseph Smith was a charlatan in his treasure-seeking days or a womanizer in his, uh, in his ways. I think that these are the, uh, the things of the flesh that men and women face. The problem that I had when I said to Jill is that Joseph used God as the author of those things. And the Bible uh, strictly speaks against many of the things Joseph said. And so why they followed him, I, I don't know. He was charismatic. He was smart. He wasn't just a horse, horse thief. He was, uh, art, he was articulate as he grew, and he uh, was a very intelligent guy. So he came up with some uh, alternative and threw it out there, and people saluted. All right, my other question to you. Do you think you're a prophet of this church you're starting here? <laughs> a prophet? No, I am a donkey. I am uh, a guy who just wants to talk about the Word of God. I am the last person you want to follow. I, you, you don't want to follow me. You just want to listen and take it to the Lord. No, what I'm asking you is your Word of God is what? Are you reading out of the Bible? The Bible, yeah. The Doctrine and Covenant? No, I read just the Bible. I mean, where did you get this Bible? There's several Bibles out there. Well, I think they're all good translations or good Bibles, you know, and I think the King James that I use, it's a good Bible. You know, and, and I think that the Bible's trustworthy. I think it's infallible. And I think that today's world, the politically correct world, is picking on it and saying you can't trust it. And it's old antiquated theories postulated by Jewish uh, scholars to try to keep the masses in control. And it's just a big lie. We've lost the thing that made America what it was back, uh, back in the day. And we've turned from the Bible. We've turned from God. we turned to our own ways. And look at what we've got. It wasn't in the Bible. What? Back in the day, America wasn't even in the Bible. No, I'm talking back in the establishment of America as a country. The Bible was very important to us. We put our hands on it. We trusted it. We read it. We prayed in schools. We did all those things. And our country has fallen apart because we've turned from the thing and because we're so smart and the Bible just couldn't be trustworthy. So I'm sorry, man. I use the Bible. I believe the Bible. I trust it. And I think that it's a good uh, guide for everybody, including you. Well, where did you get your Bible? I mean, I got it at a store. I got it at a store. Huh? I got it at a store. Yeah, of what? Somebody else that that wrote it, correct? No, th these these writings are very reliable, going all the way back to the early text. They're very reliable. You're not a seer, like you said. A seer has to know. I'm not a seer. Jesus was reading. Dude, here's the rule of part of the matter: no cocaine before you call. All right, now, uh, tonight, Squatter's Pub, join us. I don't know where we're at. Join us at Squatter's Pub from 9.30 to whenever. It's a great time, and hope to see you there. Until then, we will see you next week. Oh, I have 15 seconds. Listen, uh, Lord's Word, uh, July 15th, Heart in the Park on July 8th. We hope you can make it Sugar House Park, and uh, God bless you all. Bye-bye.